Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Video of a tense altercation in Richmond is racking up thousands of views online. It shows a man scolding a group of women at a SkyTrain station. He criticizes the women for the language they were speaking. Krista Dow spoke with the woman who recorded it. Where is she from? Where does she live? Where does she live? A mundane and casual commute turning confrontational. At issue here is language and what's being spoken. No, it is racist. No, it's not. No. Why is it racist? We, we have a freedom My, to speak in our own language. No. Last Thursday, Donna Damaso was heading to YVR when she overheard a conversation at Richmond Breakhouse Station, one that stopped her in her tracks. Damaso then hitting record. Why do we have to bend over backwards? You moved to Japan, you learn Japanese. I've seen the ladies just buying tickets on their own. And he was just watching there. He's not part of the group. He was inside of the train station. And he went outside and talked to them, saying, like, where are you from? Um, you should speak English, you're in Canada. Bro, you don't have the right to tell people what they speak. Yes, if we have to, if we have to bend over backwards to accommodate, then that's a problem. The tense two-minute encounter being shared online, getting hundreds of thousands of views. Groups working to combat anti-Asian racism say, while it is shocking, it's nothing new. Unfortunately, this kind of "you're not Canadian enough" form of othering is all too common. This is. Everyday form of racism happens in this type of format where somebody approaches someone and says, you're not Canadian enough. This is what it means for me to be Canadian and you don't fit that paradigm. I was just very angry. I, um, I keep thinking that could have been my mother, right? And she goes on public transit all the time by herself. We have a lot of people speak different languages and this is a uh, part of the cultures, the ethnicities that we need to, to celebrate. Damaso now being praised for her bold stance and speaking out. It shows allyship and solidarity with our community. I just want people to um, let know that it's okay to speak in their own language. I'm a lawyer, all right? I don't care. I don't care if you're a lawyer. I went to McGill Law School. Hoping that people will do the same and stand up for others. Krista Dow, Global News. A security guard who's helped keep Vancouver's Chinatown safe for two decades is vowing to return to work after he was the victim of a stranger attack. As merchants rally behind Harold Johnson, his wife says enough is enough and it's time to take back the neighborhood. Kamal Kuramali reports. Days after Harold Johnson was assaulted in Chinatown, the physical scars still visible. Black eye, broken cheekbone, broken nose. The emotional wounds clearly written across his face. Still a little rough, still a little traumatized. 
The beloved Chinatown security guard considered family in this community. The 64-year-old making his morning rounds near East Pender and Columbia Streets Friday when he says he became the target of an unprovoked attack. This guy comes out of nowhere, drops his bike, started punching me, and then when I went bent down, he kicked me twice in the face. The latest in a string of violence and vandalism plaguing the neighborhood for many of the Chinatown merchants. This attack, though, over the top on someone they say would give the shirt off his back. Like, I don't want to say harmless, but he's just like, you know, he's just that, you know, kind of good soul walking around the neighborhood and whatnot. There are now calls for increased support. And about the security, one person walking around all day is not suffice. Hi there, my name is Kamil Karamali with Global News. Global News reached out to Johnson's employer, PrimCorp Security, to ask what changes could be made after the incident. But we were denied an interview. Johnson's wife says the city needs to step in for the safety of its community members, calling out Mayor Kennedy Stewart. I am going to turn around and challenge Mayor Kennedy to come down here by himself to walk with me in the streets and see what's really happening here. And while the mayor refused to commit to the walk, Johnson says he'll continue to do so every working day. I'm never going to give up until they are retired. In the hopes he can prevent another attack from happening to someone else. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, one of the parties vying for a majority on Vancouver City Council in the upcoming civic election is making a big campaign promise. As Sarah McDonald reports, the ABC party says it is going to tackle the crime and mental health issues on day one. The mayoral race is heating up at Vancouver City Hall and candidate Ken Sim is putting a major campaign promise on the table two months before ballots are cast. We're going to be requesting that the Vancouver Police Department hires 100 additional police officers and 100 mental health nurses. Sim, who's facing off with incumbent Kennedy Stewart once again this municipal election, is looking to capitalize on the current state of affairs on the city's streets as so-called stranger attacks continue with startling frequency and mental health and addiction crises spill over onto sidewalks. As the city's current mayor continually looks to provincial and federal governments for funding, Sim claims if elected in October, he'd do things differently from day one by balancing the books, he says, and managing the bloat inside City Hall, redirecting excess funding to core services and expanding the CAR 87 program, which pairs police officers with nurses for mental health crisis calls. We're going to go through that budget with a fine tooth comb and make sure that we, we reallocate some of those resources towards this higher impact initiative um, that focuses on community safety and empathetic care while we look for longer term solutions with our partners in the provincial and federal governments. The price tag for his campaign pitch is steep, an estimated $20 million for 100 new police officers and 100 health care workers to address societal issues head on on the front lines. And Sim says it's also contingent on his party winning a majority city council. But the bottom line, he says, people just want to see effective solutions. Based on my experience, leaders do not deflect and they don't blame other individuals. They highlight uh, uh, issues and then they deal with them. Kennedy Stewart's office telling Global News on Monday the mayor is not available for an interview. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
Several B.C. liquor distribution branch wholesale locations are behind picket lines right now as the B.C. General Employees Union starts the first phase of its job action. For more, we'll bring in our Richard Zussman, who's in Victoria this evening. And Richard, bring us up to speed uh, on what's going on so far. The picketers may be gone for tonight, Chris, but they will return tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And they vow to stay here at this liquor distribution site until this contract dispute is resolved and there is a new deal. It's happening at different sites across the province. An attempt here to hit the province right in the pocketbook. What kind of power? Union power! Taking to the picket lines. Right now they're going to be up until we get a deal. On Monday afternoon, some of the more than 33,000 BC General Employees Union on strike, targeting four liquor distribution centres in the province, in Delta, Richmond, Kamloops and Victoria. We don't want to take a wage cut. Right. So we don't know what inflation is going to be in the future. We want some protections in our contract against spiraling inflation and against the risk of inflation further eroding our wages. The union in the province far apart. The province offering about an 11 percent raise over the next three years, plus a twenty five hundred dollar signing bonus. The union wants increases with cost of living protection. Inflation close to going up eight percent this year. If the trend continues, the raise would be twenty four percent over the next three years. Offering 3.5% over three years when inflation is running 5-6%, that's not going to fly. Public understands that. The strike already having unintended consequences. Private liquor stores worried about getting products on their shelves. They've brought the entire B.C. liquor industry and $15 billion of economic activity into their fight. So we're pretty upset this morning. This has nothing to do with us, but we have to purchase alcohol from LDB Wholesale. It could also have potential impacts on restaurants, who also rely on these distribution centres now behind picket lines. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We had uncertainty for two and a half years. We're trying to get back on our feet right now, and then we've got another curve now. These guys don't have a lot of time uh, because of a labour shortage, to be trying to managing this kind of stuff and spending time searching for products. So I think it's a bit insensitive that way. The BCGU, just the first of the public sector unions to hit the boiling point as nurses and teachers prepare to negotiate as well. It's inflation. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So it's, the union has to protect its members and the employer has to protect the treasury. So that, that makes for a uh, difficult bargain. That is a very good point. Uh, the union on one side, the province, the employer on the other. What's the <laughs> province saying about it, Richard? Yeah, so they're digging in a little bit here, but it is early days, Chris. So we got a statement a little bit more than an hour ago from Jobs Minister Ravi Kalon. He says he believes the offer is fair that the province has put on the table. Uh, they are happy uh, to continue conversations, although negotiations are not happening at this point, but also wanted to make it clear that the Labour Relations Board has already set those essential service levels. So for those essential services within the BCGU, so that includes uh, fire fighters. Uh, there is a mandate there to ensure that those workers cannot go on strike and must keep working to ensure that those services are delivered as needed to British Columbians. All right, let's hope there's a deal soon. Richard Zussman in Victoria, thank you. And that's not the only public sector union looking for a new contract. Keith Baldry joins us. Uh, Keith, uh, the action by the BCGEU is coming as we're hearing of some success at the bargaining table involving the hospital employees union. 
Yeah, as soon as the BCG served a strike notice on Friday, the uh, HU, the Hospital Employees Union, sent a memo to its own members saying, look, we're achieving strong momentum in our talks. We're going to achieve agreements in a half a dozen areas and really tackling the very issues that the GEU so far has rejected. Here's part of the statement uh, from the HEU to their members, basically saying from Amina Brazard of the HEU, our multi-union uh, committee is also engaged in active and productive discussions with the employer on inflation-fighting wage increases, improvements to various premiums and allowances and addressing the impact of historic wage cuts on health care workers. So, and they basically said, we're going to have to pause our talks now because the GU is taking job action. I can tell you what's in front of the HEU is not literally that different than what's in front of the BCGU. So the HEU is characterizing what they're seeing as very productive and strong momentum, and they're liking what they see there. So it's going to be interesting whether this solidarity can continue in the weeks ahead. I've been feeling a $2,500 signing bonus for lower paid, generally lower paid HEU workers and BCGU workers might be looked upon a little more favorably. So here you have a union saying we were making progress with pretty well the same talk. At the same time, the GU is saying that's not good enough. We're going to go on. Strike. See how it plays out. Thanks, Keith. Right. Alberta's premier makes an offer some people won't be able to refuse. Hey, how's it going? It's Jason. You got a couple of minutes to chat? I really think you're going to love it out here. Jason Kenny luring skilled professionals with all the reasons Alberta is better. But is the grass really greener on the other side of the Rockies? That's next on the News Hour. An abandoned vessel that's no longer a danger to B.C. marine life. And what's happening to it now, coming up on the news hour. And later, donut uproar. Reaction to the news, those little donuts won't be included at the PNE. We'll get the story straight later. Right now, though, it's no secret that businesses across Canada are facing a critical shortage of skilled workers. The Alberta government has decided to tackle its problem by trying to poach them from B.C. Aaron MacArthur reports. The outgoing Premier of Alberta at his folksy best Monday. Hey, how's it going? It's Jason. Extolling the virtues of working in wild rose country. The message targeted directly at workers in Vancouver. For people who cannot afford a home and young workers who can barely afford rent, that the comparison to Alberta is very uh, powerful. The announcement part of a campaign to attract workers to the province. Alberta, like everywhere else in the world, facing a crippling shortage of skilled labour. Business groups say these ads will resonate with workers. We've had 83% of our members saying that housing prices are a real challenge and an obstacle in being able to attract and retain talent. According to the Albertan government, the average home price in Edmonton is a quarter of what it is in Vancouver. Rent in Alberta is half of what it is in B.C. And the average family in Calgary has the highest disposable income in the country. The B.C. government says this province saw more than 100,000 people move here last year. But the B.C. Liberals say this ad campaign should serve as a wake-up call for the NDP. We're five-plus years into an NDP government, and there's still no coordinated, integrated uh, private sector jobs plan. Albertan union leaders think the premier is simply passing the buck, looking for easy wins rather than put in the hard work needed to train more local talent. But there's no point in bringing additional bodies here to work if you're not going to take care of them, support them and assist them because they will just leave. The Alberta is calling website is quick to mention the 300 days of sunshine every year. Not so quick to mention 
that a lot of those sunny days come with temperatures that don't crack the minus double digits. BC's climate advantage, though, may not be enough anymore. Workers are in control of their next job. Higher wages, lower taxes, and cheaper housing is a strong sales pitch. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, a deadly crash the driver never saw coming. When they knowingly put that vehicle on the highway, my mom was, was doomed. The preventable highway collision that has him fighting for change. And a major explosion at a fireworks warehouse. The search for survivors in the rubble. Good evening and some good news over here at the Queensboro Bridge. Finally got one of the big tow trucks on scene to this stalled electrical truck. Northbound at the south end in the left lane. The damage is done. Traffic is backed right to Highway 91 on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. Trish Jewison in Global One at the Queensboro Bridge. The Independent Investigations Office has been called in after a six-hour police standoff that left one man dead. It happened at around three in the morning at a rural property east of Kamloops. The emergency response team surrounded a trailer where a woman and child were believed to be held against their will. A man walked out of the trailer with a weapon and a child. He was shot and killed. The child was not hurt. A woman was found inside the trailer with non-life-threatening injuries. And during the standoff, police searched the suspect's home and found a second woman who was injured and bound. Both were taken to hospital. A horrific fatal crash on Highway 17A in Delta last year was the result of a B.C. company failing to properly maintain its farm vehicle. That's according to a police report obtained by the family of the senior who was killed. Kristen Robinson has more, including why no criminal charges were laid. My mom was such a sweet person. you know. Last October, Norman Sherry said goodbye to his mother after dinner. Fifteen minutes later, she was dead. To lose a family member in this manner, so suddenly and so violently... It's just, it's a, it's a horrifying experience. 77-year-old Joan Sherry was driving on a dark Highway 17A to her last shift before retirement when she collided with the back of a slow-moving farm vehicle. This uh, what's left over of my mom's vehicle. Sherry's Nissan obliterated on impact with the bean harvester. Police say was operating with no rear lights, no flashing red light, no wide load signage, and no red flags. You're going on a 90-kilometer-an-hour highway in the dead of night with no lights, and you're doing 6 kilometers an hour, so basically you're a 32,500-pound roadblock. All of a sudden, my uh, passenger yelled, watch out really loudly, enough to really startle me. Those words prompted Eric Butler to change lanes and narrowly avoid a collision when he encountered the farm vehicle prior to Sherry. You know, I had just enough time as I was passing it to really notice that there was absolutely nothing on the back of it, like no lights, anything. We're disobeying regulations and Commercial Transport Act regulations. Sherry's son learned a mechanical inspection found the farm vehicle was in no condition to be on the road and moving slower than normal due to a transmission issue. The company allowed the vehicle onto a high-speed highway despite knowing the transmission was not properly operating. Delta police say the evidence collected did not meet the threshold for criminal charges. When they knowingly put that vehicle on the highway, my mom was, was doomed. My mom had no chance. 
The farm vehicle owner, BC Frozen Foods, was served a notice and order under the Motor Vehicle Act requiring the harvester be inspected and all safety defects repaired. The driver received a ticket for failing to display rear lights. The owner issued a commercial transport ticket for failing to display flags. And the company the harvester was contracted to ticketed for failing to properly equip it. A total of $300 in fines. Ultimately, we want accountability. We asked BC Frozen Foods what their poorly maintained farm vehicle was doing on the road and what action the company has taken to make the harvester safe, but did not receive a response. MLA Ian Payton drove by the crash and says it's a mystery as to why the huge harvester would be traveling in the dark on a public highway. I can't imagine any farmers throughout this province who would transport farm equipment late at night in October without the proper safety protocol, lighting, or even a pilot vehicle. One minute you're driving, and the next minute your life is just crushed out, and you're gone. This shouldn't have to happen, and it will, it will happen again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Up ahead, a dramatic rescue. How two Florida police officers earned the title of heroes coming up. Counterflow is in, or out, sorry. So you've got two lanes north and two lanes south, and traffic is actually in pretty decent shape in both directions. Just some minor delays on the Steveston off-ramp heading north. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Explosion rocks Armenia's capital city of Yerevan. The blast happened at a fireworks warehouse on Sunday. That warehouse and a nearby shopping mall were destroyed. At least six people are dead, but dozens of others remain missing. Rescue workers are searching through the rubble, searching for any survivors. It's unclear what triggered the explosion. And two Florida police officers are being hailed as heroes for putting their lives on the line to save a man from a burning boat. The boat caught fire Sunday in Martin County, Florida, causing several explosions. That's when two Marine deputies jumped on board. They braved the flames and worked to pull an unconscious man from the bow from the bow hatch. The deputies were able to free the man from the flames, even as part of the boat collapsed. The heat so intense it melted part of the sheriff's boat. The victim was taken to a local hospital. It has been a year since Afghanistan's capital fell to the Taliban, and the fallout for those who helped the Canadian mission continues. The federal government promised to resettle 40,000 Afghan refugees, but many who helped Canadian forces and diplomats have yet to hear anything about their status. Kyle Benning reports. For many in Afghanistan, Monday marks the end of an arduous 365 days. It has been a year since the city of Kabul fell into Taliban leadership after the U.S. removed its remaining forces from the country. Many who helped Canada still feel left behind. Since Canadian left, uh, I haven't received any uh, help. Uh, my life is currently in danger uh, every day and night. Uh, we live under the threat. This man is a former security guard at what was the Canadian embassy. We're calling him Mr. Y for his safety as the Taliban searches for people who helped Western nations in Afghanistan. Mr. Y's former workplace is deserted 
and he, his daughter, son, two sisters, and mother are hiding from persecution. He applied for refugee status through the federal government's special immigration program last August. And since uh, last year, I haven't received any response. The federal government promised to resettle 40,000 Afghan refugees. So far, 17,000 have entered Canada. Of the 40,000, the Liberals set aside 18,000 as part of that special immigration program for people who assisted the government. A year later, the government says it has approved more than 10,000. But dozens, like Mr. Y, have yet to receive anything more than automatic responses. If the Canadian government does not act and fix the situation, blood will be on our hands. The signal that that's giving to the rest of the world is if you help serve Canada, Canada may not help serve you after they're done. Opposition parties say there are changes the government could make, like allowing refugee claimants to deal with paperwork on Canadian soil so they don't have to apply for a passport with the Taliban. The immigration minister says delays in processing are not because of documentation. The primary challenge has been and remains securing safe passage for Afghans uh, throughout Afghanistan and on to a third country. Kyle Benning, Global News. Rising office costs and a shortage of space have doctors on the Sunshine Coast calling for help. 16 family physicians in Seashell say the current model of care is unsustainable. And they say if the province doesn't take action, even more people will likely lose their family doctors. Kylie Stanton reports. We've exhausted ourselves to try to make it work. One after another. It's just not. Doctors throughout the province have sounded the alarm over BC's health care system. What do you deserve? And now another 16 are speaking out. Our current health care system is in a crisis. You know, it's, it's the stark reality where family physicians are, are fed up. Dr. Kevin Koopman is one of a group of doctors practicing in Seashells who've written this open letter to the province and Vancouver Coastal Health, calling for an increase to billing codes or subsidies for rising overhead expenses. They write the cost to run a business has exponentially increased, while our incomes have remained neutral for over a decade. You can kind of see where the, the trajectory is going and why some clinics are just calling it quits because they just you know, when they're paying 40%, 45% overhead, that's just unsustainable. That's the case for at least one Sunshine Coast clinic, leaving six doctors there with nowhere to practice and their patients searching for longitudinal care. Feel around the head for lymph nodes. Given that there are no primary urgent care centres and only one walk-in clinic that's usually booked solid, they say government funding is needed to build a new family medicine clinic large enough to meet the growing demand for care in the region. So the idea um, seems sound, but what is, I think, more immediate and what we've been working on more immediately is the work we're doing really um, uh, many hours every week with the doctors of BC to try and um, uh, stabilize the challenges many doctors have are facing now with a funding model, which is largely fee-for-service, that doctors and governments agreed to over a long period of time. I'm going to look into your left eye now. But with one million British Columbians without a family physician and counting, the pressure is on. I just know that we are trying. Our ultimate plea is that we just need help. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, encouraging signs at the Caramillos Creek wildfire. The factors helping firefighters get the upper hand. Next. And the former home of a giant in children's literature hits the market. It sits on a hill. Will they buy it? Yes, they will. <laughs>
The Coast Guard has removed a large hazardous vessel from the B.C. coast. The MV Mini Fusion, which was also known as the MV Ocean Lady, was made famous when 76 Tamil migrants arrived here on it in 2009. It was then left abandoned in Desolation Sound, but right now is being deconstructed at a facility near Campbell River, so it'll no longer be a threat to the marine environment. MV Mini Fusion was originally built as a cargo ship in Japan back in 1990. All right, turning now to the fire front in B.C. and two wildfires still burning in the southern interior. The Karameas Creek wildfire near Penticton and the Richter Mountain fire near Osoyoos. And as our Taya Fast is finding out, crews have made good progress on both fires. A much quieter day surrounding the Karameas Creek wildfire compared to last week when plumes of black smoke and orange glows filled the sky. Fire conditions are now considered stable, but the fire is still classified as a fire of note. It's around 6,900 hectares. Um, hasn't had much growth in the past couple days, so you can see a little bit of smoke popping up in a few places well within the interior of the fire. As crews continue to battle a difficult spot of the fire, an evacuation order for the Apex Mountain and Green Mountain Road area will remain in place. Up in that northwest corner, just challenging to get to, but we are seeing that the fire is kind of burning through the dry fuels and is running into fuels that aren't available to burn, really. There is no timeline as to when the remaining evacuees will be able to return home, but BC Wildfire says the fire fight is headed in the right direction. So on the fire activity that we've seen, uh, minimal fire growth, it's not, um, it's not really threatening moving any closer, so I think we're in a good place right now. Not too far away, crews are making good progress on another wildfire in the South Okanagan. Richter Mountain was classified as being held around 10 a.m. yesterday, so really good news there. We still have crews working on it. The Richter mountain wildfire sparked on Friday, just 17 kilometers west of a Soyuz. We haven't seen any growth overnight um, or in the last few days, so primarily growth was in those first couple of days, and since then it's held at around, you know, 78 hectares. BC Wildfire Service says they are aware that a truck did catch fire along the highway, but have yet to officially confirm a connection to the fire. Uh, right now it's suspected human cause, but as always with all these, you know, wildfires that aren't clearly started by lightning, we have to do a pretty rigorous investigation into the actual cause before we can officially, you know, label it as any certain cause. So that investigation is still going. BC Wildfire Service is reminding drivers to slow down near the Karameas Creek wildfire and the Richter Mountain fire as crews are working along the highway. TFS Global News. Always good to hear about favorable weather conditions. The heat's still on a little bit. It's still summer. We'll check in with Christy Gordon now with a look at our forecast heading into the week. Chris, you're exactly right. So uh, we don't have a lot of lightning in the forecast over the next little while, but over the last few days, we've had a close to 35,000 lightning strikes. So the a number of fires really surged as we headed into the weekend. We were close to 170 fires. We've come down a bit, and I'll show you the numbers in a second. But first, I want to quickly just show you the warmth that we saw today. We were at low to mid-30s in through the interior, and we're going to continue with similar conditions. As you mentioned, the heat is on, and summer-like weather is definitely here to stay for the next couple of days. So inland sections of Metro Vancouver will be in the low 30s Wednesday, Thursday. At least at night it won't get uh, as hot as what we saw the last time when we saw this heat. We'll, we're talking about lows of about 15, 16 degrees. So you'll get some relief at night and that's because we're going to have longer nights. And this is the uh, daytime highs for the Kelowna area. So again, a surge in heat in the next couple of days before it drops uh, over the weekend. Smoky Skies Bulletin in place near Caslow in particular. There's quite thick smoke there and also in through the Elk Valley area. 
Uh, we have right now 142 fires, but I just looked at the dashboard, the BC Wildfire Service dashboard, and it's actually dropped to 136. So we're trending in the a more, a better direction, certainly when it comes to the fires. And wait till you see our weather window tonight. We're actually going to compare the skies from today compared to what we saw last year on this day. There's a clearing sky for our region tomorrow, so we will see some cloud cover overnight, particularly central interior regions. We'll see uh, periods of rain, but we're headed towards sunshine right across the province. So by tomorrow afternoon into Wednesday, we'll see that as conditions really clear out quite quickly. So there are your daytime highs. Again, low to mid-30s and through the interior. We're going to be in the high 20s away from the water for the south coast area, and uh, we'll likely see mostly dry conditions. I put in a slight chance of showers Thursday, Friday. Still some uncertainty around that, so stay tuned for that. And tonight's central windows weather window is what I really wanted to show you. This is from Armstrong. Cindy Newfeld sending us this when we had that apocalyptic sky last year. This was in the afternoon, and you can see that the the street lights are on. It seemed like night, but not any kind of night, as you can see with this fiery sky. So a great comparison from last year, this day to today. Uh, certainly a lot better, thankfully. Chris, back to you. That is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, those memories of that apocalyptic view are, are still pretty fresh for a lot of folks. Thanks, Christy. Much better today, thankfully. Yeah, for sure. All right, the home where many children's classics like Green Eggs and Ham and Red Fish, Blue Fish, One Fish, Two Fish were written is on the market. Dr. Seuss, former property in San Diego, is up for sale. Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, purchased the home in 1947. He lived there until 1991 while he worked on many of his best-selling books. The property is split up into several smaller lots priced from around $4 million to just under $12 million each. Bids are due in by Wednesday. Sweet as honey if you got the money. <laughs> you, um, Squire, We're going to stop rhyming now. Maybe we should stop. No, Squire has to rhyme his sports cast now. <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Does a cat you know in a hat come with that house? You <laughs> Maybe. Get a cat in a hat? That might add to the uh, property value. Okay. Um, among the stars that are at the uh, Audlem Brown Vancouver Open Tennis Tournament up at Hollyburn in West Van this week is former world number seven Fernando Verdasco. I'm really happy to be here. It's a, it's, a, it's a great challenger just before the U.S. Open. And he'll be headlining with some well-known Canadians. There they are there. Vashik Pospisil, Jeannie Bouchard back from the long injury layoff. Rebecca Marino as well. They'll all play tomorrow. Star-studded group. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, the uproar over a lack of those little donuts at the PNE. But it turns out there's a bit of a hole in this story. It's a little bit of ABBA trivia in the sportscast tonight. Mm-hmm. Wait for it. Okay. <laughs> well, you're it has the one to do with the tennis it. bit, but we'll get to that in a second. First of all, hockey, because it's August. Uh, whether it's a winter tournament or a summer tournament, this version of Canada's junior men's hockey team is a serious gold medal contender. Today, Canada finished off the round-robin portion, staying unbeaten with a 6-3 win over Finland. Now, Finland gave Canada... A pretty good run in this game, but a lot of that was because the Canadians spent most of the third period taking penalties. 
Dylan Duran of Kamloops, Blazers fame. Tending goal for Canada, Brendan Othman with a nice deflection here. He's a Rangers draft pick. Olin Zellweger took the shot. That made it 1-0 in the first. Then Tyson Forster. Ridley Gregg starts this. Forster finishes it and makes it 2-0 for Canada. And then the first round pick, or the first pick overall in the next draft. You can pretty much bet on it. Connor Bedard of North Vancouver with this laser to the top corner. That's an NHL shot, and he's not in the NHL yet. But he will be soon. That made it 3-0. Canada up 4-1 power play. Mason McTavish of the Anaheim Ducks. One-timer. Canada's in the quarters against the Swiss. That'll be on Wednesday. What are the Blue Jays doing? Yusai Kikuchi on the mound. And now it's a bases-loaded situation for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Two will cross the plate to cut Baltimore's lead to 3-2. However... They stretched the lead out again, the Orioles did. Ryan McKenna, this drags in a run in the fourth. And it's now 7-3 in the sixth for Baltimore over Toronto. Okay, tomorrow afternoon at the Audlin Brown Vancouver Open, there will be four marquee matchups in a row at center court. Jeannie Bouchard is going to play. Foshik Pospisil is going to play. Rebecca Marino is going to play. But the player who's going to start everything off at 1 o'clock is Fernando Verdasco of Spain. Okay, very quickly, his mother said that she named him Fernando because of the Abbasan. Oh. His second name is Waterloo. <laughs> uh, now, Not true. Ver- Verdasco at one time in his long and storied career was ranked number seven in the world. Meet the marquee players at this year's Audlem Brown Vancouver Open. Canada's Vashik Pospisil, Eugenie Bouchard, Vancouver's very own Rebecca Marino, and Fernando Verdasco. All but the Spaniard have played in Vancouver before, and the world's former number seven ranked player couldn't be happier to be here. You know, it's kind of like remembers me a little bit of obviously not the same because at the end this is Canada, and but Monte Carlo's view tournament is also pretty nice in the way that it's like this kind of like in a mountain, in a hill, then you have the views of the water and everything, so it's, uh, it's pretty similar. Yeah, baby. I'm good set. Verdasco owns career victories against Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. He has 28 career wins against top 10 opponents. He's now ranked 126 in the world, but he still loves competing and will use the Audlem Brown Van Open as a tune-up prior to the U.S. Open. I'm really happy to be here. It's a, it's a, it's a great challenger just before the U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to try my best to try to get uh, as many matches as possible and, and to try to go deep in the tournament. Fernando's last victory against a top 10 opponent was in 2019. That was also about the time he started thinking about another career. He's always worn a baseball-style cap when he's served it up and has a love of hats that goes beyond the court. And when we say love, this is what we mean. I've always been a lover and a collector of caps uh, for many years, like having many, many caps from New Era, 47, Gordon Bros. I mean, many, many brands. How many hats Uh, do you have? um, 500, maybe. Yeah, around that. Being head over heels in love with headwear evolved into this. Verdasco's own brand and hat company called Coco Wee. At age 38, he knows his playing days are numbered, but his career as an entrepreneur 
is just beginning. And we have like 40 models already. I'm getting old, man. So uh, yeah, I have to be looking. Uh, I have to be looking for new opportunities, for new horizons in the in in, in life. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Vancouver Whitecaps have loaned uh, Kyle Alessandre to Fortaleza EC in Brazil for the rest of this year. He's made only five appearances for the Caps this season. Quite frankly, he has had no luck with injuries since he signed in Vancouver. He's only 23. He joined the Whitecaps in March of 2021. Wednesday, Vancouver is home to Colorado in a game the Whitecaps desperately need to keep their playoff hopes a little more hopeful. Yes, you'll never walk alone in Liverpool you're a Liverpool fan. Unfortunately for the home side, Wilfred Zaha is alone, but he plays for Crystal Palace and he scores. So it's 1-0. And then things get worse for Liverpool. No, you can't be doing that. Red card for Darwin. Down the 10 men, Liverpool still gets one. Luis Diaz deeks out about five guys and scores. Saves a point. Liverpool won, Crystal Palace won. The UNLV Running Rebels men's basketball team is in Vancouver to get ready for the NCAA season. They'll have three games this week, one against the University of the Fraser Valley on Friday, University of Calgary on Thursday, that'll be at UBC, and tomorrow night they'll be at UBC at 7 o'clock to play the Thunderbirds, who helped arrange this visit. Kids grow up watching the NCAA on TV, and everybody knows you know historic program in UNLV. Uh, and for them to put it on their basketball resume, I mean, they're, they are thrilled. We have kids coming back from family trips that are going to, you know, flew back just to play in this game. So I think as, a, as, a, as an athlete, as a competitor, you want to play against the, the top-level teams, the best teams you can. And uh, for them to put it in their, you know, in their bios that they played against UNLV and have some highlights uh, against that team uh, means a lot to a basketball player and a coaching staff. Wanted to show you this from yesterday at Whistler. Whistler Mountain Bike Park, Rock Shocks Canadian Open, part of Crankworks. Ouch, 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 ouch. To a lot of mere mortals, that would hurt. Not to Troy Brosnan of Australia. He won this. It's his sixth straight win. Lucas Cruz was a top Canadian in fourth place. The Aussies swept the men's podium. And on the women's side, Australia's Tracy Hanna. This is her winning run, her fifth straight victory. The top Canadian was also fourth via Verbeek. The Australians say they love this track. It's dangerous and it's dry. Right down their alley. There you go. Looks awesome. The dangerous part I don't like. (laughs) Thanks, Squire. Well, there's a bit of a twist on a PE tradition this year, but do not fear. You'll still be able to find your favorite miniature food at the fair. Thank you. That's next. All right, Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, the Lower Mainland is about to get a taste of what the rest of the province has been experiencing for weeks now. Scaled back emergency room hours. Starting tomorrow, the emergency department at UBC Hospital will close at close at 8 o'clock nightly instead of the usual 10 p.m. Plus, Vancouver police are investigating threats of arson against homeless people in the downtown east side. Someone distributed flyers this weekend which threatened to burn tents with gasoline and propane if people don't leave within seven days. We will have reaction from the community tonight. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? Very disturbing. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. 
Well, a longtime PNE fan favorite will be absent from the 112th fair. That's right. Those little donuts marked 50 years at the PNE in 2018, but they won't have a booth there this year. The company announced on social media it's saddened that the PNE Food Committee rejected its application to participate as they already have similar products there. The PNE says it will still offer mini donuts, including ones from the original family who created the popular product back in the 1940s. It's really important to note, though, that the original founding family of those little donuts um, had sold the booth a few years ago. So the booth that is on site is not the original family and hasn't been for several years. The original family was selected to be part of this year's fair. So the mini donuts that people know and love that are from the original, from the Johnson family that are so iconic, and the family that actually brought mini donuts to Canada back in 1968 will be part of this year's fair. This year's fair opens on Saturday. Look, you're going to have options for mini donuts. You're going to get your mini donuts. You're not going to go without. You're not going to go without. Now, how many options for foot-long hot dogs or pierogies? That's what I want to know. Or um, Or, what if we eat ribs? What if we eat at the fair square? Well, we ate ribs on a ride. Yeah. And I think we only got one rib before all the rest of them flew off the ride. Right, well. I'm sorry, I, I dropped them that day. Yeah, they're not <laughs> they were really hot, though. Hard, hard to eat yeah. on, a, on a ride. Hey, summer weather still to come, and then we'll wrap this thing up quick. Christy? Yeah, so we are going to see a surge in heat tomorrow and into Wednesday and Thursday. So enjoy the warmth. At least it won't be too hot at night, though. Enjoy your vacay, and happy birthday, partner. Thank you. Oh, is it your birthday? It, it is. You. Oh. Well, happy birthday, so thanks. <laughs> thanks, all of you.